Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain with Social Audi. That's me, Carol Jean. And today, my lovely, beautiful, down-under guest is Miss Jessie Ayton of The Lost Girl Melbourne. If you want to have the most incredible, hope-filled, light-filled person in your life, it's Jessie Ayton. She reaches out to women all over the world and helps you start your journey, helps you understand that autism is just the beginning and that in community, you find connection and you find your place. And Jessie offers all of these beautiful, wonderful things to her community. Jessie Ayton, thank you so much for being here today. Carol Jean, thank you for having me. I don't know if anything that I can say can possibly surpass that introduction. <laughs> so thank you. It's so lovely. It's hey, a pleasure I to be here. speak from the heart. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse also has a podcast, and I'm going to have all of the links where you can meet and find Jesse, where you can check out her community of Losties, which I love. It's such a great name. I love it. It's the Lost Girl Melbourne, and it's the Losties, and that's us. That's us. Mm -hmm. We're the the latest identified Losties, and I love it. I think it's so precious. Um, (laughs) So, Jesse, tell us a little bit about your podcast so that everybody can go check it out and maybe go give a listen after this one. Yeah, it's such a wonderful initiative. Um, My background is in radio broadcast and production and I worked for our national broadcaster uh, for a long time and I really love, I mean, it's called a podcast but it's technically a radio show as well which was how it was originally gotten over the line. So I produce uh, once a week a one-hour episode for people new to the autism spectrum for late-diagnosed adults And that is broadcast um, across Good Health Radio, which is a a lovely platform um, in Australia for people needing to access information uh, that they may not have. So people in in regional regional remote areas and their value system just really lined up with mine. I think that information is so needed and there's so much misinformation, particularly about autism and people on the autism spectrum are crying out for help and guidance and resources and most of the information that we see on the internet are for parents and children, which is great, but there's a real gap for for women. And yeah, that's that's why I wanted to put this program together. So it's called Life on the Spectrum and it's available on Apple. You can follow it on Spotify uh, or you can subscribe. And I, I love doing it. I speak to experts and autistic people and delve into what it's all about, really. <laughs> And you have had some really interesting guests. You've had some really fun oh. guests. So I, I have been enjoying Yeah, I do. Thank you. I do, and the thing is, the thing about the guests is they I never have to convince them to appear on it. So I speak to a range of people that are just on the spectrum or whether they're an autistic advocate or autistic voice or an expert or an academic or doing something great within this space and I never have to ask twice. They, they always front up and click accept yes to the nearest Zoom invite and I think that's really special. Oh, I do. I love it. I, I have had more fun 
and I've met some of the most incredible people, <clears throat> present company included, in <laughs> meeting because of the podcast and being able to reach out and mm. say, I really love what you're doing and I would love to share your voice and your story and, and come talk. Mm. Just come visit yeah. me now. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. And it really mm. is wonderful. And I think that I love that we're able to do that. Don't you, Jesse? That we're able to bring people together and sort of network and share and just introduce people to one another. Well, it's so easy. Making an introduction to someone is not a difficult thing to do. And it's one of the most underrated actions that a person can can do, really, for want of a better word. You, you link two people up and they will make magic together. And it's it's not hard. And I think ever since I was small, for some reason, I, I always just loved introducing people and bringing people together, knowing that they'd have something to talk about or get along and working in radio and being a producer, knowing who we get along with who and who to put next to one another at the, at the dinner table because they're going to really hit it off, you know. And then when they do, it's so great. <laughs> so it's, it's very satisfying for me as well. It is. I, I have to say that that's probably, I sort of think of myself as the matchmaker <laughs> because I, I meet yeah. people and I yeah. introduce them. I'm like, oh, you and so-and-so have this in common and I think you would really hit it off or, you know, you guys could, you really are kind of going in the same direction where you could really help each other. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not done enough, I think. And it's, it's as you say, it's, it's the matchmaker thing and, and it is very satisfying when it works because it, it usually is. does. So. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. I think I get like silly giddy about it because I'm like, oh, yeah, I could do this and this person right here. And they, oh, I think they would just love each other. Exactly. And they just sort of see the fruit of that introduction to me is just always the biggest gift. It is. Yeah. I feel like I'm just sort of like this human mistletoe walking around, just sort of bringing people. together or something yeah but particularly in this day and age in this day and age with with the with the internet and and with Facebook and podcasts and everything is so much more accessible these days and so it's not difficult to keep in touch and particularly um after after COVID the rise of Zoom you know everything is done via Zoom nowadays so none of these things are difficult to do they're not. So Jesse and I both want to encourage everyone in the listening audience and everybody watching the video replay today, introduce a friend. Mm-hmm. Put two people together and just just try it. Just try it. You'll be amazed. You will. <laughs> I love it. All right, Jesse, let's dive in and do some fun questions. So share with us your autism story. Yeah, well, I was diagnosed in 2020 um, in June of this year at age uh, 34. So I first started seriously suspecting that I was on the spectrum around February, March time. I was in a new relationship and as um, as as is the case for a lot of women on the on the autism spectrum, I've had a really long and complex uh, mental health journey in psychiatric history and been in and out of hospital before and had terrible time, uh, you know, diagnosed with every acronym under the sun and, yeah, a lot of comorbid things. And, yeah, I, I felt that I had so many acronyms, but I was meant to be going into therapy, but I didn't really know what I was meant to be treating <laughs> by this point because, because I just had so many, it, it, there was just still sort of something that wasn't quite right. And 
I'd had a lot of doctors and just a long journey. I, I'd, yeah, I hope you don't mind my candidness. Like I had had a full oh no break. Yeah, I had had a full nervous breakdown in 2018. I hadn't worked for a long time and been, I had admitted myself into acute care and just, yeah, it was, oh, it was one of the most awful periods of my life, scariest periods of my life. And just this sense of, of hopelessness and of, of no direction and no sense of self at all or no answers as to why I was the way that I am, was the way that I was. And, yeah, I I was in this new relationship uh, at the start of 2020 um, and we went on a on a small trip away and as part of my my therapy at that time I had a new a new doctor who was who was a woman and she asked me to start journaling and as is the case with a lot of autistic women I write a lot more candidly than when I speak because when I'm writing I don't have the pressure of having to keep up the conversation I don't have to turn take I I don't have to think about you know auditory processing things I don't have to worry about making eye contact or any of those things. When I write, I'm just very much in my own self, I suppose. Very much I click into place is the is the image that comes to mind for me. So I was submitting these journals and what was coming out was that I don't, you know, I really like this guy and I don't know how to connect with him. I, I don't know what I'm meant to be feeling. I don't know what the expectations are of me as a girlfriend and I'm 34 and I've been in relationships before and I've never gotten this right and the difference was that I was just writing it down and submitting them to to this to to Bo my doctor and we went away Ryan and I for a couple of days and yeah it became really obvious to me because I was we'd gone away with a friend and I didn't really understand the expectations of the house and struggled in the social situations I would often become really withdrawn and normally I would avoid prolonged social events with people because I can't stand them (laughs) because I'm autistic as it turns out but prolonged you know I'm still social but (laughs) maintaining was was the was the problem it was very difficult for me so there was no escape and yeah, we just came back from from this and I remember driving back from his holiday spot out of Melbourne, which was about an hour and a half, and just I was really quiet in the car and I just knew that something was up. I knew that I had all these acronyms and autism and Asperger's just kept going on and all around in my mind and it, it just wouldn't stop. And from there, I just deep dived. I think like every person that has suspected they've been on the spectrum, I deep dived for weeks and months and went into the rabbit holes. And I just knew, I just knew what I was, took it to my doctor. And I said to her, um, Bo, do you think that I'm autistic? And she said, yes, I think you are. And she said, I, I just happened to have gone to a um to a workshop for for women on the autism spectrum a couple of weeks ago and your mind just your face just kept coming to the front of my mind all the time but I was so nervous because for a lot of women that's not the case they're just really shut down by their doctors and I had asked a psychiatrist prior to that whether he felt that I could be on the spectrum and he had told me that I was too social to be on it so no I wasn't so yeah wonderful and thank you for being candid and sharing that because 
that's one of the biggest struggles, Jesse, that I think we as, as women and, and women who are unidentified autistics that we go yes. through the psychiatry alphabet soup. You know, I had, I had somebody tell me I was bipolar. They tried to put me on lithium. I mean, just in, in my twenties, all these kind of things, but you know, there's just something about it that never sits with you. Mm-hmm. It's like, It's like you get really close to the finish line, but you don't get to cross it. You know, it's like you, you, the tension, you feel it. It's like, this doesn't fit. You know, it's like a tight pair of pants. (laughs) It's like, yeah, they go on, but they don't button. They don't button up and I can't sit down or walk around my kitchen. Exactly. (laughs) That's right. And I think that that And I I as well... Yeah, it, it is. And the misdiagnosis, I mean, the the level of knowledge about autism and the spectrum amongst the medical and psychiatric community is appalling. It is appalling. And I get really, really angry about this because it's not good enough to for a woman to be, to be suspecting that she is on the spectrum and to go for help to a GP or a psychiatrist. And I hear this all the time. And she's told she's too social. She's, she's making eye contact. She can have a conversation. So therefore, she's just sent on her way, which is a waste of time and money and energy and effort and executive function and emotional stress. And every person deserves the key to herself. And the more that the medical community don't understand how autism actually presents in women, the more locked up women are going to be walking around because they don't have their key anymore or they don't have their key yet. And it really makes me angry, but that's going to make me go off on a tangent. So apologies. <laughs> no, no apologies necessary because I think mm. as a woman in our audience, every woman that you and I speak to, we've some have been very fortunate. You and yeah. I are exceptionally fortunate. I mean, I had a neuropsychologist who was diagnosing my son look at me after I had been through this whole process with my child, you know, and I had spoken and met with him several times and and at the final meeting for the report, he looks at me, he goes, you know, you were missed, right? Mm. You're autistic. And I'm just like, huh? <laughs> Wait a minute. The penny hadn't quite dropped. It was just niggling in the back that there were so many things that were making sense that I was having to answer and read for my son. And that is so common, really, among moms. That's sort of yeah. sometimes where we find our key. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I love. We find our key when our child is starting to go through the process. If we start reading the questions and we're like, oh, I experienced that. Oh, I think like that. And mm-hmm. you're like, hmm, I wonder. Mm-hmm. And it sort of leads you down the rabbit hole, as we yeah. say. The rabbit hole. And it's terrible because a lot of the time, as you say, women have to essentially build their own cases and present it to their to their specialists, which isn't right. They should have the advocacy and support of their specialists that that you're not going to get you're not going to know a patient's entire life story and how they feel in a 15-minute appointment so if a patient knows something about themselves and, and and a person knows something about themselves then that's worth listening to and yeah, it, it really breaks my heart because it's so unnecessary. So that's why there's power in the village because we need to support one another. You're not always going to get it from specialists. Nope. And I completely agree with you. I have always said that mm. it is it takes mm-hmm. a village to raise a child is the old Af- is the African saying. And I, I think it takes a village of us coming together 
to mm. lift up because in I always say, you know, I, I love this quote, a rising tide raises all ships. And, yeah. and I feel like the more we can have a conversation about what we experience, what we have gone through, uh, what we're feeling and thinking and being able to connect and share that with another person who can be feeling and thinking those same things, but just mm -hmm. hadn't quite gotten to the point where they could put it into words or at least can say, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. I'm mm -hmm. not alone in this. You think this way too? Oh, thank gosh. It is such a relief. I don't know. I That's the word I can say. It's a relief to know I'm not oh, it is alone. A relief. It is a relief. It's like coming home. It's like coming home to the mothership half the time, just being like, I have never met anyone that I thought that that was just a weird Jesse thing that I did, but it's not. Like it's actually, it's a, it's a trait and I'm not just a failure. I'm just autistic and it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. And so that I, I completely agree with you there, Carol Jean, just the, just, yeah, the, the sense of not being, being alone because my saying is there is no worse feeling in the world than being alone. But Jesse, once you finally got your, your answer, you got your key, mm -hmm. how did you start processing it? How, I mean, what were your initial feelings and things on that? Cause that, that's a pretty big emotion that we usually, there's a lot of them that happen at the same time. What were those for you? Yeah, it was, I mean, when I first started suspecting I was on the spectrum, it was a feeling of real fear and terror because autism is a really big word. I think, um, Usually when we think of autism, we think of the, the, the kid in the classroom rocking back and forth, smashing a train on the, on the ground, you know, and it's, it's, that's, that's not necessarily how autism presents. It can sometimes, but it's not for everyone. So it was a real fear for me, I think. But then once I understood, it was, it was a real relief. And I know that a lot of women say this, just that relief of finally having this new lens and some answers and, and this, this key that they haven't had and an opportunity for me to I think one of my favorite things about it has been really getting so in touch with those traits of mine that are really autistic because obviously being a woman on the spectrum often we have bent so far out of shape from the people that we really are. We have shape-shifted through our entire lives. Some of us, you know, will have diagnoses of borderline personality disorders or, or dissociative disorders, and we really struggle with, with who they are and who we are in these complex traumas, myself included. And so identity is a really key thing. So one of the wonderful things to me, for me, after having really no sense of who I was and critically, who I have always been, has been getting back in touch with, I guess, my hard wiring and not feeling as though I'm shape-shifting. So things like, yeah, I, I really struggle to hear. I really struggle with sound. I really struggle with, with light. I think in images. I think in amazing colours. I think in in my world is is entirely sensory. My my the way that I express emotion is through visual pictures and my imagination. And I think for so long I had shoved these parts of myself down, the sensory stuff, because I didn't want to be a bother. And 
being a child of the 90s, you know, and I'm sure many women and people would would relate to this, you're taught to to act a certain way and to be respectful and to, to be a lady and all these things. And so we do shove down things that are happening for us because we don't want to be difficult. So getting back in touch with those things has been great because they're not parts of my identity that I question. They're my hard wiring. This is, this is me. This is my default setting. This is part of my fabric. And these are things about myself that will not change, whereas the shape-shifting stuff is more fluid. So one day I may present a certain, I may present more dry humid. I may present more angry. I may present more, more, um, more kind. And that's not to say that I'm not any of those things, but you feel sometimes as though you change into a, a different self. But the parts of yourself that you can't change, that hard wiring has been so wonderful because they're absolute and they're things that I can hold on to and know that they're part of Jesse. Oh, Jesse, that is so beautiful. And I love, I love that because I think that that's one of the mm. things that, especially as late identified, especially when we've gone for decades, not knowing why the world was so different and why we experienced the world so differently. We kept giving a little bit of a little piece here and there to try mm. of ourselves away to try and conform and mold to fit in because we didn't want to be different. We wanted to be accepted. You know, we wanted to be a part of the world mm. and we didn't really know organically how to go about it. So we would, we're excellent mimickers. So we're giving away these little parts and pieces. And the thing that I find so beautiful is when you get the information and you know, you get your key and then mm. you start to look once you've gone through that processing phase of, of everything that you, you think you missed and all of the coulda, woulda, shouldas. You get mm-hmm. to the point where you're like, okay, now what? Mm-hmm. And that's where I love to come in and say, okay, now let's find out what is it that you want your life to be going forward? And let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's craft that. Let's gain those pieces back. Let's take those pieces back. Mm-hmm. Get back to that, that hard wiring, but let's get back to crafting what that's going to be going forward for you. And I think that's such a beautiful thing because that is that is power and control that you've maybe never felt like you had before because I know I didn't. And when Absolutely. I realized that, that, and when I realized I had it all along and I had been giving it away for decades, not realizing it, I thought, ah, oh, it's time to take it back and let's do something with it. Mm-hmm. And realize, you know, who you actually, it sounds like I should be on a, an episode of Oprah, who you are as a as a person, you know, like what actually makes me up, like who am I? And I talk about this with my friends on the spectrum all the time. After our diagnosis, we had no idea who we were. I still don't know who I am. I'm still coming into myself. And as I say um, to, to the women that I work with, this is not going to be a sprint. This is a marathon. This is a marathon. This is going to take years. There is a lot of stuff to unpack here. And it it is that, as you say, it's this it's beautiful, slow process of coming out and being like, actually, there's a girl in there that's been buried underneath this rubble for 34 years and she's broken in two and she's dusty and her hair is matted and she's coughing up dust. 
but she's in there. There's actually a girl that's in there under this dusty rubble of life and you get to go get her, which is which is wonderful because she's always been there. And when you live with a sense of identity that, that chops and changes and is fluid, the idea that there is a broken whole person in there that doesn't change is a relief. I love that. That is that is so true. That is so true. Mm. So if mm-hmm. the best, how would you highlight your best? What's the best thing that you've learned since discovering your identity as autistic? Well, I've learned, I think for a long time, I was driven very much by ego because I was trying to keep up and trying to present as as being the best all the time and it becomes defence. That's part part of the rubble that we accumulate that 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 buries your lost girl that's in there. That's who the lost girl is, the, the girl that's buried. And what I love about the lost girl is uh, she really is so kind. And, yeah, I would sort of berate myself because I can be so direct and can be so blunt and can be so to the point, which I had misunderstood in myself as aggression because people around me told me that it was aggression, but it wasn't. It's just how I communicate because I'm autistic, so I'm blunt. You know, I'm very blunt a lot of the time, and that's something that I'm still learning how to curve down. But being blunt doesn't mean that you're not kind. And so realising within myself that my lost girl is actually a very kind person has been wonderful because I think for a lot of us, particularly when we live with complex trauma, there's there's an innate fear or worry that there's something wrong with you, that 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 there's you're wrong, that you're wired wrongly. So to find that or that you're bad and to discover that in fact I'm good is has has been a lovely part of this whole process, I think, yeah. Well, Jesse, I have to say that since meeting you and you and I have gotten to chat so many different times, it just blows me away because you were probably the kindest person, the sweetest, most <laughs> giving and generous-hearted person And to think that you were covered up and that you are allowing this wonderful, beautiful person that you are confidently out into the world, just, oh, and that I have gotten to meet you has just been amazing because you have been such a blessing in my life. Just to be able to chat with you. I mean, it is just so fun and you are just such a delight in all things. You really are. And That's I could just kind of you, thank you. gush <laughs> over here because, I, you know, I, I find somebody I like and I'm like, yes, I like this person very much. And this is why I like you. Fascinated. <laughs> just fixated. And oh, yeah. Popping up. Yeah, I understand. I become like that as well. So, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. That's lovely of you to say. And I can mm. say that this is a really big thing for me. And it's one thing that is a a huge part of why I started a community. It's a huge part of why you started a community. And that is because we know, you and I know that doing it alone is just, it's just not, it's not as easy. It's not as much fun. You don't have the same 
encouragement and and the kindness and gentleness that needs to happen. And you find that in community. And I have never really had close girlfriends. That's not something I've ever had because I didn't know how. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand the the code, right? I didn't speak the language in the code. Those hierarchies and they're very emotional. It's very very complex systems to navigate. It's very common for women on the spectrum not to have close girlfriends because the, the friendships are too hard for them to understand. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, back to you. No, no, no. It's very true. It's very hard. Mm. And and it's not from a lack of wanting because that's a that's been a huge want since I was a young mm. girl. I've always wanted to have that best friend, you know, that connection, that group of girls that I saw oh, yeah. other people doing because I thought, I want to have that love and that experience. And in creating the Mind Your Autistic Brain community, in meeting other autistic women like you, like Rebecca Mm -hmm. and Sarah and Maisie, I have for the first time in my life that community and that group of girlfriends that has been life-changing. Every one of them is autistic. We all speak the same language. We all come from similar experiences. And Jesse, I think this is something we can both say to everybody on the other side. Number one, you're not alone. Number two, we're creating communities for you to come find your village. And if you go find Jesse's and that's your fit, fantastic. Mm. I want you to go meet Jesse and I want you to go see if that's your group. Check out Mind Your Autistic Brain. See if it's your group. You know, one or the other. We're here trying to make sure there's opportunities for us mm. because it's something that we've been looking for. And now that we yeah. know we've got our key, we can all go in together and, and do it together. Yeah. I hope so because I think, um, I really think that there's enough room for everybody and, you know, one community of losties is never going to be enough to serve, you know, the entire world. And, and you know, there's just not, you, you can't, there, there should, ah, sorry, my, I'm getting all tongue twisted because there has to be enough room for everybody because we're all fighting for the same thing. You know, the, the goal for the same thing is for acceptance and for people to have other people. And so I really loathe this, um, yeah, notion of, I suppose, just not supporting an initiatives that other people are doing because every initiative is slightly different um, and everybody has a slightly different, as you say, fit. You know, one woman that goes to your community may come to the Losty community and, and be like, oh, I don't like this. You know, this girl is far too into flowers for my liking. Um, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. You're going to take different pieces from from what you get and you're going to the most important thing that you should be getting from these communities find is finding friendship with with other women from around the world that's that's the aim and so if people like yourself and myself and and other community leaders or whatever we're meant to be called um can, can create right. that space yeah i don't know what i don't know what i would call myself i, I say i'm the cruise director i'm sort of the cruise director <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm just, you know, someone called me the boss the other day and I was like, oh, God, I guess I am, but I, I guess I am the boss, which is a great feeling, but it's also just a little bit, it should be about the women in the in the community, not really about me. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I know, because that's, that's really sort of part of the whole um, 
process as well is coming into our own. And once we find and we have identified and uncovered who this girl is that's underneath all yeah. of the muck that we've washed off, and then we're starting to show up mm-hmm. and embrace yeah, the world are. with all that we've learned about ourselves. We're still trying to find our footing in some areas and, and it's still a little uncomfortable and we're still working on those things and that's okay because we're getting we'll get there we'll get there the dust is is washing off I think as well it's also a very um I think that as women we are often very afraid of what we are able to do and we are afraid of our own abilities and we're afraid to own the fact that we are talented at something or have good leadership skills or a sassy or a really um, savvy when it comes to, I don't know, building communities or branding or whatever it is, running a business. I think that we're almost afraid to own those traits sometimes. And um, yeah, so it's a shame because it shouldn't be that way. And so that's something that I try and keep an eye on as well. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. <laughs> That's been one of those things mm. where it's I've had to in the process of coming into my own as as just an individual. It's also now coming into my mm. own as a businesswoman in the world. And how does that look yes. for me? Because I'm not defining it mm. based on anybody else anymore. Because I I don't get in the comparison trap. That was something that I've learned for myself. So I'm like, how do I define this for Carol Jean? Mm. And having the the freedom and the knowledge to then say, I'm now making these decisions and I'm going to define what that looks like, what that leadership looks like for Mm. me. And boy, Mm. is that exciting. Mm. It is exciting. It is exciting. It takes a bit to get used to, but it's exciting. And it's powerful to come into that recognition in yourself too. Mm. Well, I think you do it beautifully. So I, I definitely take cues from you. <laughs> and I, you. Mm. Well, what has been the hardest or most challenging part of your autism journey so far? This is going to sound strange based on what we were talking about, because we were just talking about how we were afraid to embrace what we're able to do. So this is going to sound like it's counteracting that and it's not meant to, but realising also what I can't do has been difficult. So not I've always been quite an ambitious person and knowing that I'm always going to struggle with things such as time management and I'm always going to be by default quite a black and white thinker you know I try and be more open-minded nowadays but I've had to teach myself how to do that over time but knowing I guess what my limitations are has been difficult because yes I struggle with with reading and and dyslexia and and suspected dyscalculia where you don't understand numbers and coming into all that and actually really recognizing it and accepting that though it's good for the future admitting that you're not good at something for me can be quite tough you know it can be I, I can be I like to be good at what I do and reliable in what I do and and able and looking at yourself through a lens where you're not able to do something is confronting at times and something that I'm still getting used to but in saying that 
also knowing that I can't work out maths and that's just because my how my brain is wired I don't actually don't have the ability is also such a relief because I can say to people I'm sorry I'm not wired that way I don't know how to subtract time I don't know how to work out time I don't know how to do all of all of these things that you seem to be able to do I don't understand um, all the terms that you're talking about like equity or I can learn them on an intellectual level, but I, I'm to apply them is a completely different thing for me. So that that side has been a relief. I think as well, there has been a lot of um, yeah. There's I've I've been angry at not being diagnosed and slipping through the cracks and being a lost girl. I have been angry that it was never spotted and I didn't get the support that I needed as a young girl and that I needed to keep up in class and almost keep a secret of how much I was struggling, particularly when it came to how I was learning. And I would have teachers coming down hard on me and as autistic women we often live with a lot of comorbid physiological issues like EDS or POTS or difficulties with our cycles and none of that has ever been addressed before until now. It's only been since I have started reading up on autism and I've taught all myself this stuff. No one, no one raised it with me. I taught it, you know, to my to myself and have then taken it to specialists. And it angers me that I had to go through all of that and the comorbid mental health stuff as a result, you know, I live with terrible OCD. I live with terrible complex trauma that I'm still unpacking and will be for a long time. So that anger is confronting because anger is an uncomfortable feeling, but it's also liberating in a lot of ways because it takes the pressure off you a bit. You can be angry because then you're not angry at yourself. It's not coming down on you. But it can at times feel like misplaced anger because in the 1990s when I was at elementary or primary school, autism wasn't talked about in girls. It wasn't talked about unless it was the really obvious cases of boys being obsessed with train timetables. It wasn't spoken about. So I feel great anger with that, but it's misplaced, misdirected anger because I can't really put it on anyone. It's just anger at the situation. So I think that that's what also drives me in in wanting to make sure that that doesn't happen for women and link in with organisations that do promote better awareness for girls and females and just autistic people in general because obviously the non-binary sector is a huge part of our community too. Um, But, yeah, that anger has been difficult. Still something I'm working through. Yeah, and I think that you are not alone in that. I think Mm. a lot of people on the other side that have nodded their head that, yes, I am feeling that way or I have felt that way. And Mm. it is part of that processing phase when you you have that anger and sort of the grief of what could have been Mm -hmm. and it it is tough you know and the things that we're like why didn't somebody know you know yeah and and the health things that's that's a really big thing because I started I was hit with really bad pots I mean debilitating I could not even feed myself it was so bad yeah and all of the things that are now going with it, there's there's things that are just kind of coming out over time. And I've been doing anesthesia testing at an allergist because 
I can no longer tolerate. And I've talked to several other autistics as well who have a similar issue and a challenge with anesthesia. And especially if they're, they're also have pots and some other similar type things. There's, you know, a whole host menstrual cycles, all of the things. Oh my gosh. I remember my teens and twenties and oh my gosh. And then migraines and just all of the things, because when we're wired in a neurodiverse way, it doesn't just affect our senses. It doesn't just affect how we experience the world. It physiologically also affects us in a lot of ways that are just now really coming to the surface. And the more we can talk about it and discuss it with one another and and sort of, these are the things that I've got going on. What about you? And we all start, you know, kind of comparing notes. We start to see the pattern because we're great at patterns. We can identify them. Love a pattern. (laughs) (laughs) And and sharing Mm -hmm. that and taking that knowledge and going to the community out in the world and say, hey, we figured this out for ourselves. You guys aren't vested in this in the way that we're vested in it. So we're going to share with you what we've learned so that you can better help us so we can continue helping you. Because we have to oh, absolutely. We have to bridge the gap. We have to bridge the mm-hmm. gap because if we're not taking the initiative to bridge the gap and we're just sitting there expecting the rest of the world to figure it out, nobody understands if you're not willing to share what your experience is. And I think that's what's so wonderful that so many autistic people are coming together and saying, hey, we want to share with you how we see the world. We want to share with you what Mm -hmm. happens in our world because you need to know. You don't even, you don't even know what you don't know. You don't even know what you Mm -hmm. don't know, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You don't even know it. They don't know. We don't know. We don't know. What's the line from friends where Phoebe, they don't know. We don't know. We know. We know. That's so funny. Yes, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. And I think that the more that we can at least start the conversation is where where things start to happen. Where mm-hmm. understanding and just just that little glimmer, somebody just crack the door open a little bit and let's just let's start pushing it open a little bit and a little bit and a little bit till we've to we're flooding some information and we're flowing back and forth because I think that that's such a big part of moving everything forward to an, a common understanding to where people yeah. aren't missed for decades. The Yeah, they need to be, these lost girls need to be found 100% because life can be easier and better. So, yes. All yeah. right, Jesse, last question. What is the one bit of information or a specific tip that you want to share with other autistics listening today as they're beginning or as they are on their autism journey? That's a really good question because I have so many pieces of advice. Well, number one would be they must connect with other people on the spectrum, but we've already said that, so I'm going to take another answer if that's okay I think that for women on the spectrum we have such we have had such complex journeys to get to the point to to get to the point where we are now and it's been no no easy feat we've we've really been through so much 
And now is the time to really be nourishing yourself and taking your time to work out how all the different parts of your life and your story have fitted together. And as you can tell from from this interview, I think a lot in visual images. And to me, what that looks like is you need to unpack what your life has been and what your story is and who you are. And if you imagine a car mechanic standing up in front of a car with the bonnet up, he's standing in front of the car and you've got your autism diagnosis now and he's looking at all of the, the parts of the car and he's trying to work out which parts of the car belong to the car itself, the original make of the car and which parts perhaps were accumulated over, over time and, and don't belong. So he might take out each part of the car and look at it, give it a bit of a clean-up, put it back in, that bit can stay. But this part, no, we, we got that from, so we don't really need that. That's not part of the car, so just throw that away. You've got to find out what makes up your car and your car is you. You know, the parts that may not belong anymore is, is the anger towards someone or trauma or... Not, not saying that trauma doesn't belong there, but the way that you relate to the trauma or defence mechanisms or sadness or loneliness or self-hatred. And you can start to put your car back together. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful parts of anyone, for anyone that they, they now have the ability to do this and whether they become this beautiful, brilliant Mercedes <laughs> that can speed down the highway, that's great or if they're just this lovable lemon bomb that is content and peaceful, then that's also wonderful. And I think that my advice would be to please take your time with this process because, as we said before, this is a marathon and not a sprint and you have to think of it as a carpet unfurling within yourself. And that would be my advice. Oh, Jesse Aiton, that is fantastic advice. (laughs) If you have loved this podcast today, if you have absolutely adored everything Jesse has said and you have been nodding your head on the other side and you cannot wait to connect and meet the Lost Girl Melbourne, Jesse Aiton, be sure to connect with her below. She's on Facebook, she's on Instagram, and we're going to have all the links in the show notes below so that you can reach out and find your person because Jessie is amazing and she has so many wonderful, loving things to share and her village is great. I love her village and it's a happy place. <laughs> Jessie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your insights, your experiences and your voice. Thank you. Thank you, Carol Jean, for having me. It's been wonderful to come and talk to you. <laughs> 